church. If you agree, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, what a joy, loved ones, uh, it is to be here with you again. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, our ushers are coming forward right now. Just put your hand up, and we want to put one in your lap. We want to put a Bible in your lap. We believe the authority of the Word of God. It is our guide. It is our light. It is inspired by the Lord Himself. It is sufficient for equipping and training in righteousness. And so we go verse by verse, line by line, through God's beautiful word. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. Love seeing those Bibles flying out. Keep your hands up nice and high. Our usher's going to be right there. All right. And here we are kicking off our second message in our series through the book of Acts called To the Ends of the Earth. To the ends of the earth. And this message title is Witnesses Part 2. We did part one last week. I'll unpack that again in a little bit as a recap. But I want to start off by asking us a question tonight. And it is this, loved ones. If you were asked the question, why does the church exist? What would you say? Maybe your coworkers, maybe your neighbors, maybe your friends, extended family members, they know that you claim to be a Christian and that you go and gather as the church. And if they ask you the question, why does the church exist, how would you answer that? Say it in a sentence. Just think about that. Well, what we see through the book of Acts It is so clear why the church exists. The mission of the church, you'll see it on the screen. Here it is, write it down. The mission of the church is to continue the mission of Jesus. The mission of the church is to continue the mission or the ministry of Jesus that he has entrusted to us. And how are we to do that? Well, it's the main theme of the book of Acts. That's why we go verse by verse, line by line through this book, Lord willing, over the next two to three years. The main theme of the book from Acts 1-1 to the end of Acts 28 is this, witness. Witness. It is the main theme of the book. Now let's make sure we're on the same page as to what we mean, what God means when he calls us to be his witnesses. You'll see it on the screen. The Greek word for witness is martus. Everybody say that. Martus. There, you just got some Greek in tonight, loved ones. Hey, kids, take that into your classroom on Monday, huh? <laughs> Come on. All right, martus. And that's where we get the English word martyr from. And it means this, one who testifies about the truth of Jesus Christ. One who testifies about the truth of Jesus Christ on their lips. They proclaim the truth of God, the gospel of who Jesus was and what he did and how they demonstrate it in their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a witness who testifies on their lips and in their life. But here's the thing. A witness is unafraid. It's an unafraid witness willing to even go to the point of sacrificing your own life. Why? Just like Jesus. So that others may live. So that others may live. There's the testimony of Jesus' life. There's the testimony of the church. But there's a problem as you look at that definition right there. You're going to recognize a problem as I do quickly in my own life. 
we often struggle to live as faithful witnesses for Jesus Christ, don't we? We struggle to live as faithful witnesses. We struggle to live to proclaim God's word in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in our families. Why? What is going on here? Well, just look at some of the common themes. You see them in your life. I see them in mine. We get distracted from this. We get so focused on the things of this world. We get so focused on the values and priorities and attitudes of opinion of the world and our witness is distracted and derailed. Here's another one. We get fearful. We get fearful of opposition, don't we? As we go through the book of Acts, Lord willing, we're going to see opposition arise very quickly, starting in Acts chapter 7 with the stoning of Stephen. And so we're going to see opposition arise, and maybe that's, maybe that's holding back our witness. We're afraid. What's it going to mean for my job if I testify to the person and work of Christ? What's it going to mean for the relationships with my families? What's it going to mean for the relationships with my coworkers and, and my neighbors? Maybe here, here's the struggle for us. We're focused more on building our own kingdom than seeing Christ build his. I want my comfort. I want my agenda. I want my predictability. I want my convenience. I don't want to humble myself when I'm corrected. I want things my way, when I want, how I want, and why I want. I want to build my own kingdom so our witness is derailed. What's the result of these things? Just look around sadly at the state of the church today. Apathy and not fervency in our walk with the Lord. Where's the fervency? Coming out of COVID-19 in that long season. It was a long season, wasn't it, loved ones? It was a long season. Coming out of that, you don't think the apathy set into the church? You bet it did. You bet it did. Apathy starts, complacency. Well, just kind of, you know, put the mission of God, the kingdom of God, the mandate from God on the back burner. I'll just kind of do my own thing. Here's another one. Uh, Indifference and not compassion to those who are perishing around us. Indifference. Does it it break your heart that your coworkers, if they died tomorrow, would go to hell? Your loved ones? Your neighbors? Does that still agonize your heart? Or have we become indifferent? Yeah, it's sad, but let someone else witness to them. How about this? The result of foregoing our witness, we start to consume instead of sacrifice. You don't think the culture of consumerism has invaded the church? You bet it has. Serve me. Serve me. I should be served. No, don't ask me to sacrifice and pour out in the church for anyone else. No, no, no. This is all about, if that has the right programs, then I'll go. If that's the right, that right piece of this, then I'll join that. If, if the times of the services are just convenient for me in my travel schedule, then I'll go. And my hobbies. Consumerism has invaded the church. And not sacrifice. It's a derailed witness. Faithlessness, not faithfulness, and compromising believers in entire churches sitting idly by while people perish. Here's the big idea of our text today. Write this down. Kids, kids, eyes up here. Love seeing your eyes. Okay, get this. If you get nothing else out of the sermon day, I want you to get this. So write this down. This is the big idea. Acts chapter 1, 6 to 11. Jesus has entrusted us with his mission, and we must live as his witnesses. 
Jesus has entrusted us with his mission. And we must live the kingdom-mandated life and be his witnesses. So last week we saw part one of how he calls us to do that. We saw that a faithful witness remembers our confidence that Jesus is alive. He hasn't been defeated. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything today. That changes everything about when you walk into that office on Monday. We also saw that if we are to live as a faithful witness, we must rely on his promise. The promise of what? promise of a person. The promise of the third person of the Trinity, of God himself, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus gives us to witness in his power. And so today we see part two. We see the next two truths that we must increasingly live out by the power of the Holy Spirit in us if we are to fulfill the ministry Jesus has entrusted to us and live as faithful witnesses on mission. And here's the beautiful thing. See see Jesus, save people, and advance his kingdom for his glory. Here you go. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. We're going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. Kids, Acts chapter 1, 6 to 11, read it nice and loud. Let's go. Lots of focus. One voice. Let's go, church. Hear the word of the Lord. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, first thing we see is this from these power-packed six verses. Jesus has entrusted his church with his mission. And if we're going to live faithfully on that mission, we must live with kingdom clarity. We must live with kingdom clarity. And the question that confronts us from verses 6 and 7 that we cannot escape is this. God's kingdom is not of this world. Are you living with clarity or distraction? Are you and I living with clarity or distraction? Let's get our context. Context is key, right? It's been 40 days since Jesus is resurrected from the grave. And we saw in verses 1 to 5 last week that he's been appearing to his 11 disciples, the apostles, over the last 40 days. To why? To give them confidence. To give them confidence that he is alive, that he is the Messiah. Jesus was not just a prophet. He was not just a man. He was not just a moral teacher. He is and was the Messiah. Amen? And this is what he's proving to the disciples to give them confidence over these last 40 days. He's giving them proofs. And to give them their commands for how they and us were to continue faithfully carrying out his mission on earth after he descended to heaven. And so right here in this text, right here, such a beautiful text. Let's tune in. 
These are the final moments Jesus has with his apostles on earth. The very final things. Final things he wants to say to them. And so what is he doing? He's brought them to the Mount of Olives. Now, some of you know I used to live in Jerusalem. And so this here is the Mount of Olives at night. I just, I just love that. And this was the view from my condo about five minutes from here. We just walk here on my prayer walks each evening. And that's the Mount of Olives, that, that, um, that steeple you see at the top there in the Garden of Gethsemane. That, that is Hebrew University. And so there's the Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus has assembled his apostles. And then look what he says. Verses 6 to 7. Go back to the text. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. See, the disciples asked Jesus if he's going to restore. The word restore there means reestablish the kingdom of Israel. Now, what this question shows is that the disciples are in danger. They're making a big mistake here. The disciples are mistaken. They still believe Even though Jesus has been trying to teach them again and again and again, they still believe that the Messiah's kingdom was a political, national, and earthly-based kingdom, and that the purpose of the Messiah coming for Israel was to overthrow the Roman government, to relieve them. Because as you may recall, Israel is under the authority and command of the Romans at this time. All right, And so they're thinking, all right, are you going to overthrow the Roman rule right now? And give the, here's what they're asking. Are you going to give the nation of Israel back its sovereignty and independence? Are you going to give us back our rights that we so cling to and we want from the nation of Israel that we don't have under Roman rule? Are you going to give us back our freedoms? Are you going to give us back our national sovereignty and give them the kingdom they wanted to have? They'd heard the prophecies their whole lives from the Old Testament. You want to look at some of the prophecies of the Messiah's reign of the kingdom? Just go to Psalm 89, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 52, and so many more. And they're longing for the Messiah to come and overthrow the Romans. There's anticipation. They could say, you could say, they have messianic fever. (laughs) But what, here's the deal, what the apostles failed to understand and what would ultimately, get this, misguide, derail, and cripple their witness if they kept that perspective, if it wasn't corrected, was that the kingdom of God that Jesus was teaching about, hey, it's up here. It's not some geographical kingdom. It's not some geographical kingdom in a political or physical sense. God's kingdom is not of this world. God's kingdom doesn't have its source coming out of this world. John 18, 36, this is why Jesus says to Pilate, he goes, my kingdom is not of this world. You can't see the kingdom of God on a map. If you were to roll out a map of the world, you can't see the kingdom of God on a map. Why? Because it's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is correcting the disciples here, a needed correction, that his kingdom is not connected, and this is a great word for our day, tune in, tune in, his kingdom is not connected 
to earthly political parties. Nobody elected Jesus to be king from this world, did they? He's the king, always has been. Jesus, the Messiah, is not connected to any certain, well, if you, if you support this political party, then you're with the Christians. Listen, look what he's saying to the apostles right here, because they're misguided right here. And we too easily are today. It doesn't come from any world system. Rather, because Jesus has all authority over all earthly kingdoms, including the hearts of man, his kingdom would advance by his rule set up in the hearts of his people. Set up in the hearts of his people. That's why you can't find it on a map. It's found in the heart. His kingdom would advance by his rule set up in the hearts of his people by the power of the Holy Spirit as the gospel is preached by Christ's witnesses, the church. That's how God's kingdom advances. And the Holy Spirit draws people to salvation through the proclamation of the faithful gospel. His kingdom would advance by his power through his witnesses, not by the military might of soldiers. And one day, very soon, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Let's look at the book of Revelation. One day when Jesus comes back, he will establish his earthly reign. Notice Jesus doesn't correct them and say, my earthly reign isn't going to happen. He doesn't say that. One day when he comes back, he will establish his earthly reign. But notice verse 7. Go back to the text. Look at this needed correction. He says, it's not for the disciples or us to know the times or seasons for that. That, the, that God the Father has fixed. That means established. It's going to happen at that time by his own authority. God is unstoppable. He will accomplish his plan. And he's fixed a time when Christ is going to come back and establish his earthly rule. You see, here's the key from these two verses. The disciples' clear focus and priority and ours today as Christ witnesses the church was to be on the mission now. He says, it's not for you to know when I'm coming back. Be on the mission now. Stay focused now in being my witnesses. And the disciples and us today were not to be distracted by the secret things that belong to the Lord. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. And you see today, church, how many Christians, maybe even in this room, are so distracted from the mission. Just as the disciples were in danger right here, distracted. They're so distracted from the mission because they're debating the times and seasons of Christ's return and Christ's work. Relationships have been severed because of this. Churches have split because of this issue right here. Or, how about this? They're not living with kingdom clarity because they're so distracted by trying, like the disciples were focused on here, trying to change the government. Force change. Get loud. We're going to change the government because that's going to usher in Christ's kingdom. No, Christ's kingdom is ushered in through the faithful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the hearts of people, that's what changes nations. That's what the disciples needed to be reminded of, and as we do today, right here. 
He's like, guys, don't be working on trying to change political parties and setting your hope in those, which ultimately are based on you wanting to advance your own kingdom, to get your way of life back. Your own kingdom you're focused on. Well, we'll get rid of the Romans and we'll be able to do what we want. We'll have the freedoms we want. We'll be able to live with the convenience we want. Does this sound familiar? Jesus is like, stop. So often, loved ones, we're derailed in witness because this, we have lived this mentality of this is how I want it to be. And Jesus is like, how about how I want it to be? How about how I want it to be? I'm the one with all authority. I am the king of kings. I've given you a mission. I want the hearts of people. I've got all the authority and I'm working on my plan, but are you going to witness? Are you going to be derailed and distracted? And you see, this came to a head these last three years, didn't it? In our world today. And this is what the disciples were in danger of right here. And why Jesus needed to correct them in this moment and realign their kingdom clarity and ours today right at the start. Here's why. Loved ones, eyes up here. Because what you and I put first is always going to order the rest. What we put first is always going to order the rest. It's going to be our focus and set our trajectory. And I want you to notice something. Something so key. You say, well, does God not care about what's going on in this world? Oh, he cares deeply. And he's very attended. But God's kingdom, it's not disconnected from this world. Scripture is full of how to engage the culture around us. Here's one. Pray for your leaders. Go ahead. Pray. Pray for them. How many times? First Peter, all through the book of Timothy. Pray for those in leadership. Pray for the emperor. Pray for your leaders again and again. Go and vote. Yes, do that. Go cast a vote. Don't set your hope in the vote. But sure, go vote. You know, read about what God has revealed for what he's told us of when Christ comes back. But stop fighting and bickering and devouring other people and believers and being distracted by that and live on mission with kingdom clarity as the witness Christ called you to be. Loved ones, here's the reality we need to, we need to zero, in our, zero in on and what Jesus is getting to the disciples here. It is enough to know that God has all authority and has fixed a time and season for everything under heaven. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And this should be enough for us. It should be enough. I'm coming soon. And it should be enough for us. If he said he's coming soon, then I need to be witnessing now. I need to be witnessing now in proclaiming the gospel. And not trying to know the times and seasons for when all of that should be happening. Or saying, I want things to go this way. And then getting upset with people who don't think the same way as I do. And canceling them out in this cancel culture business. Stop bickering. Isn't it comforting, loved ones, to know that Christ has all authority and can't be stopped in fulfilling his divine plan? Isn't that comforting to know and free us up to live on mission, kingdom clarity, with the true kingdom of God advancing 
for his glory and let him work that out. He will. He's like, get witnessing, guys. There's only one way God's kingdom advances. And Jesus says, the last will hear and the end will come. And, you know, we were talking about this in our small group. Love small group, by the way. Huge plug for small groups. We were talking about this in our small group two weeks ago, you know, where Jesus says, the last will hear and the end will come. I was like, you know, think about this, small group. I was like, think about if your neighbor, your neighbor is the last one who is to hear the gospel and God's just waiting for you to get over there and then Jesus comes back. And it was so cool as we let that hang there and so, someone in our group, love her, she was just like, well, wait a sec, you can't go witness to them because I got 10 people I need to share the gospel with. Yes, that's fervency. That's urgency. That's what we're talking about. But just think about that. The last will hear and the end will come. And here's the reality we need to see that Jesus is driving home here. The devil doesn't have to destroy a Christian or destroy a church to render them ineffective. He just has to distract them. Get you fighting the wrong battles with the wrong people. Shred the church. Divide it. He doesn't have to destroy you. He just has to distract you. Why? You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. Distraction derails devotion. That's why. Distraction derails devotion. See, God's kingdom is not of this world. Are you living with clarity or distraction? Whose kingdom are you ultimately focused on wanting to advance? Yours or Christ's? Just let the word of God minister to your heart right now and humble yourself under it. Whose kingdom are you more concerned about advancing right now? Let's be honest before the Lord. He knows your heart anyway. Can't hide it. How many things are you pursuing right now and God is saying, it's not for you to know. And you're so distracted by it. He goes, it's not for you to know that right now. It's not for you to know the times or seasons, how I'm going to work, when I'm going to work. It's not for you to know that. And you're so distracted by that that you've lost your kingdom clarity and fervency of witness in living on mission. Here, here's the step right here. Write down what those things are that are distracting you, that are derailing the devotion. Repent of them and surrender them under his authority. He is loving, good, and sovereign. And pray this, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come and my kingdom go. Just let your kingdom come and my kingdom go. And help me to live with kingdom clarity and be devoted to what is most important as your witness, proclaiming the gospel. Start right there. Now watch what God does. See, Jesus has entrusted his church with his mission. We must live with kingdom clarity. If we're going to stay faithful on that or we will derail. And secondly, and final point today, we see from this. Kids, write this down. From this, if we're going to stay faithful on mission, we must live by our kingdom mandate. We must live by our kingdom mandate. Question from verses 8 to 11 is this. Jesus gave us one mission, and that is to make disciples. Is that your priority? Jesus gave us one mission, to make disciples. That means to make followers of Jesus Christ, to see that multiplied. Is that your priority? Look, go back to the text. Verse 8 to 11, eyes in the book, so good. Let's go. But you will receive, Jesus says, you're so focused on that kingdom and the Romans and getting overthrown. I'm going to bring you back to what matters most. Look at this. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cl- look what happened. This is awesome. This actually happened. This is a historical narrative. Remember that. They're looking on, and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. See, after correcting his disciples about what his true kingdom was and their, what their focus was to be to see it advanced, Jesus commissions them. This is the great commission in the book of Acts. He commissions them and us today as his followers, all true Christians, he gives them the kingdom mandate that all Christians are commanded to live by. And notice this, you'll see it on the screen right there, little blow-up map, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. You see it in the blow-up part of that map. Jerusalem, that is locally, to their neighborhoods, to their town, and to all Judea and Samaria, that's nationally, and to the ends of the earth. And the end of the earth, as you see on that map, it was Rome at that time. Go back to the other one, team. It's Rome at that time, the end of the earth. And that verse right there is the breakdown of the entire book of Acts. Chapters 1 to 6 are local in Jerusalem. Chapter 7 starts Judea and Samaria. And by the time you hit chapter 28, it's all been internationally as Paul's mission trips are coming. You see, that's the whole breakdown of the book of Acts in one verse. Awesome. And ultimately, the mission of the church to be his witnesses, to make disciples or followers from all nations. This is the Great Commission. You'll see it on the screen. There's the world today. We know it doesn't just end at Rome. There's our mission field. Here's the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is the parallel of this moment in the book of Matthew. This is the parallel account in the Gospel of Matthew of what's happening right here. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, based on my authority, that I cannot be stopped and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Don't pick and choose what parts of the Bible we teach. And behold, I'm with you. I love that. There's the Holy Spirit. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. See, this is the mandate that Jesus gives to all of his followers in the first century right here and the 21st century today. It hasn't changed. And so how do we live out our mandate? We see two ways right in this text. Number one, verse eight, go back to the text. We live out our mandate by Christ's power. Notice notice the text. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The word power there, circle it, one of my favorite words in all of Scripture. The word power there, the Greek word is dunamis. Can you say that with me? Dunamis. Dunamis, and it's where we get our English word dynamite from. Boom. I think when God's talking about power, he's serious. You will receive power. Power, dunamis, that means abundant, miraculous power. The power of God literally living inside of you. Having the power of God through the Holy Spirit working in and through you. And that word power there, dunamis, is mentioned 120 times in the New Testament. You think God's serious about us getting this? 
120 times. You've got my power. You've got my presence. See, the apostles and now all true Christ followers would be immersed and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and be given supernatural ability not to live our own agendas out, but to proclaim the gospel of how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, came to earth, fully God, and took on flesh as fully man. He was conceived in a virgin birth through Mary. And he lived a perfect life for 33 years. Did you know that Jesus didn't sin once? He was sinless. 33 years fulfilling the word of God, the law of God, perfectly. And when his time had come, which was fixed by the Father, his hour, he went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. He took our place. That was us who should have been on that cross. And the wrath of God being poured out on him, which should have been us. He paid the penalty for our sin, which ultimately is death and separation from God in hell for eternity. That is where our sin leads us without the Savior, apart from the presence of God for eternity in hell. And yet death didn't stop him. Jesus died. He was buried for three days and he rose again, defeating the power of sin, defeating the power of death. And now, as you see right here, he is raised to life. He's ascended back to be with the right hand of the Father, Hebrews 12, 2. And now he offers the forgiveness of sins for all who would repent of their sin and confess him as Lord and Savior. And rest assured of this, based on the authority of God's word, you can debate that all you want, you can fight that all you want, and say, well, that's not for me. But at the end of the day, Acts chapter 4, verse 12 stands. It says, there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. There is only one Messiah. You will not find that in another religion. You will not find that in the name of another God. It is in the name of Jesus alone. gives us power to proclaim it. See, right here. Why do we need his power? Because the mission of God, you'll see it on the screen, is only accomplished by the power of God. You and I have no ability to change a heart. I have no ability to change your mind right now. I have no ability to make you believe me. That's not up to me. I'm not trying to do that. That's the work of the Lord. And that frees me to preach boldly to you in love and truth. We are 100% dependent on the Lord. A.W. Tozer said it this way, we, grow, we go astray when we attempt to do spiritual work without spiritual power. Every time. Every time. So are you abiding? Are you taking the word of God every day and waiting on the spirit and saying, Lord, fill me again. Holy Spirit, fill me again. In your quiet time, are you taking that time in prayer with him, in uncommon communion, to say, Lord, I need you. Yes, the busyness is there and all that stuff, but right now, this is the most important thing. We need his power or we will not witness in his name. And you may say this. You're like, I can't do that. I'm, I'm afraid that opposition. Hey, hey, right, you can't. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. But God can do that. You say, that heart is too hard. I'm intimidated by that. I've tried and that person's just rejected me. Listen, listen loved ones, no heart is too far gone. For the gospel, amen? 
God can do that. And he's promised that all, he, all those he's calling to himself, he will do it with. But will we be faithful to witness? Like here, in just a couple minutes, we're going to go across that hallway. And we're going to hear baptism after baptism after baptism after baptism testimony. And we're going to get fired up. Praise the Lord. Hey, church? Uh Uh-huh. But each of those people you'll see in that tank were saved by Jesus Christ through, get this, not like everyone's got to have a seminary degree in order to share the gospel. Listen, listen. Not by exegeting Romans chapter 8 or, or the book of Leviticus to them. Mm-mm. They were saved by, through ordinary people proclaiming an extraordinary Savior in his supernatural power. That's it. Ordinary people proclaiming an extraordinary Savior in his supernatural power. Every one of them. So the first thing we see is this. We've got to live out our mandate by Christ's power. Are you calling on him daily, moment by moment? Secondly and lastly, we're to live it out with urgency. Look at 9 to 11. Go back to the text one more time. Let's go. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he, that is Jesus, look at this picture. Isn't this awesome? He was lifted up. There's Jesus standing with them on the top of the Mount of Olives. Here, can you just put the Mount of Olives back up there, please? He's he's standing up there on the Mount of Olives, right there. Now just picture this. He's lifted up and a cloud, that is a picture of the glory of God, took him out of their sight, right from the top of that mountain, right there. Just talk about a divine elevator. That's amazing. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, all of a sudden they got some visitors. There's the 11 apostles and now... Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he's going to come again. That's a promise. He will come again in the same way you saw him go into heaven. See, after giving them their mandate, keep, the, keep that Mount of Olives on there. After giving them their mandate, Jesus then ascends in a cloud. The cloud is the picture of God's glory. Remember that from Exodus, the pillar of cloud? Here's the cloud again, the picture of God's glory. And he ascends Jesus into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. Now just picture yourself on that mountain. You're watching this happen. It's just like, can you just picture where it says they're gazing into heaven? It's just like, you know, your jaw drops hits the floor, your eyes are wide, you see Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King of Kings, raising up, you're just like, no way. You're just standing on the top of the Mount of Olives. The glory of God all around. And then all of a sudden, you're gazing away, and then two men, who we know, these men were angels. How do you know that? Just read the text. It tells us. Did you catch it in the text? In white robes. Greek word for that statement is brilliant white, dazzling white, angelic robes, angels, messengers of God, not little cupids with bows, messengers of God. They come and stand by them, and notice what they say in verse 11. Why are you standing? There's the disciples. And they're like, why are you standing around looking into heaven? Like if there was anyone who could get a little slack cut in their lives, for not living on mission with urgency in this moment, it was the disciple. I mean, that was awesome to see, right? And the angels come, they're like, why are you standing here? Why are you just standing around, gazing into heaven? Hey, 
Didn't you know? Look at the text. Jesus is coming back soon. Why are you standing still? Why are you just get? He's coming back. He's coming back soon. Look at the text. He told you in verse four to go to Jerusalem and get ready for him to send the Holy Spirit. Stop standing around and go to Jerusalem. Get ready. Loved ones, this same exhortation the angels are giving the disciples here, this is the same needed exhortation for us today. Why? You'll see it on the screen. Because you and I, Notice this fact. You and I are now the closest in human history to the return of Jesus Christ we've ever been. And that will be the case tomorrow if he doesn't come back tonight. We are now the closest in human history to the return of Jesus Christ. How much more? If these angels are like, why are you standing around, disciples? How much more are they saying to the church today? Church, why are you standing around? Where's the urgency? Our king is coming back soon, church. And just as he left his disciples here, notice the text, he will return visibly, coming down from heaven. And not just 11 apostles are going to see it, the entire world is going to see it. You're like, well, what if I miss Christ coming back? Not going to happen. Every eye will see and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we are called to live urgently as his witnesses and not apathetically. We are called to not live with our head in the clouds just gazing at our social media posts. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just gazing at our video games. Just gazing at our television sets, our Netflix, our hobbies. We are called to be witnesses, not stargazers, loved ones. What are you just gazing at, distracting from the urgency of the mission? Jesus gave us one mission. Make disciples of all nations. Is that your priority? Loved ones, my beloved friend, Pastor Norm Miller from Redemption London, one of my mentors, he's told me this once. I've never forgot it. He says, it is a lie from the pit of hell to say, well, I'll just, I'll get to that mission, just not now. That is a lie from the pit of hell over your life and mine. I'll get on mission, just not now. I've got some more important things to do. My schedule doesn't jive with witnessing right now. I've got my hobbies, I've got my games, I've got my sports, I've got my job. Well, when I, when I get a better job, then I'll start to witness. Hey, students, when I get through exam period, then I'll start to witness. When I get the degree, then I'll start to plug into the church and serve on mission. When things are just more comfortable for me and it doesn't call me out of my comfort zone, then I'll get on mission. Jesus is like, why are you standing around? Why are you standing around? It's a lie from hell. When I feel more adequate, loved ones, Where do you need to repent and say, enough excuses, Lord, I'm in. Send me. My life is yours. I'm in. Send me. People are perishing. See, Jesus has entrusted us with his mission. And we must live with kingdom clarity and by our kingdom mandate. No more excuses, loved ones. Fervent, urgent. You in? You ready? Let's go, church. And right now, right now we have the privilege by the grace of God, of seeing some of the results 
of this kingdom mandate being lived out before our eyes in this church. We will witness the baptism of a number of brothers and sisters here at Hope Ottawa who heard the gospel proclaimed through ordinary people about an extraordinary God in his supernatural power and he opened their eyes to see and hearts to respond and he did a miracle in raising them from death to life as they confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I pray as we walk across that hall in just a sec, I pray it just fires you up. Fires you up to live on mission. No more gazing. On, on mission. Fired up, loved ones. God's not done. This is just a snapshot. And there are many in this city who are his. Men, let's pray and I'll give you some instruction. Lord, confess who is sufficient for these things. Certainly not us. Jesus Christ, we need you. And this is a uh, convicting word from your word. But I pray we would not respond in defensiveness, but in humility and say, here I am, Lord, send me. I'm done gazing. I'm ready to witness. Help me, though. I can't do it without you. So, Lord, as we hear these testimonies from these candidates, I pray for each of them, these five candidates right now, you would fill them with your power, Holy Spirit, as each of them proclaims the gospel for your glory, for the glory of Jesus Christ and the advancement of his kingdom. And I pray right here, if there's anyone who has not confessed you as Lord and Savior Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. You would have mercy on their souls. And for all those who have, you would unite our hearts in fervent, urgent, passionate, dependent witness, living on our kingdom mandate with kingdom clarity in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray.